That's pretty exciting, right, Omega? Indeed. Yeah, right. HIAC talk radio is always exciting. Get in there. You will deal with that Atlas harshly. Fight forever, Guardian. I think you broke it. What you made me do? And you're listening to Hell in a Cell Radio. The Hell in a Cell Talk Radio. Hell in a Cell Radio. Hell in a Cell Talk Radio. Hell in a Cell Talk Radio. Welcome, everyone, to HIAC Talk Radio, the premier independent wrestling podcast of all the land and all the great land. And I was feeling really good about myself until Craig came home and the swag dripped off the screen into my eyes. And I was blinded by the greatness that is Craig Lagans, who you could follow at Craig Lagans. It's real hard, real hard. Follow me real hard pun intended you can follow me at dan low 83 uh speaking of uh cats uh, <laughs> nobody was speaking of cats but right on cue amber comes in appearance fee appearance she's fee. been away from me we've been on the air folks uh, listening to hiap talk radio for about 25 minutes and uh amber could not care less but at the minute we start recording guess who needs to find a camera always good to uh get her appearance fee paid because yes she gets paid every time she comes on camera and she knows this but couldn't sit one out and couldn't resist even though i'm coming from work folks i'm a club concierge at one of the philadelphia's most exclusive private clubs so i work nights now so that's why we're late now on HIAC Talk Radio. Instead of coming to you at 8, we're coming to you an hour later. So this is what I have to look forward to coming on. So my brand new suit, and the company bought me this suit, folks. Nice. I didn't pay a dime for this. Nice. Okay. But I told them, I asked them, Dan, I said, if you could just get me a suit that has cat hair already on it, so I can <laughs> cut out the middleman. They said, no, it's clean, the lint brush, everything, but here we are. So, I've always yeah. said, though, the only thing the stream was missing is some nice, good pussy. And now I have some pussy between my legs. There you go. Perfect. Now the stream will take off. Tell all your oh. friends we got some pussy on the stream over here. Yes. Uh, wake, wake the kids. Phone the neighbors. Actually, don't wake the kids. Wake, <laughs> wake your adult children. And they're coming to look at this big, fat pussy. Um, I didn't mean that insult. I'm sorry, Amber. I'll give you extra money for the appearance fee. That's not what I meant. Sorry. I know you're sensitive, as am I. This is why uh, part of me dies every time Badash in the chat calls me Jabba. Oh, Lord. I know. Eh. That's so unnecessary. She does it out of love. And when uh, if I ever meet her, I will hit her with my car. Um, <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> Craig's like, I'm not. Uh, I also am trying something new this week where I'm not screaming 90% of the time. So I could use the microphone as intended. And not sound like I'm in the other room away from it. So we'll see how it goes. But ladies and gentlemen, HIC Talk Radio is on the air and has been for like 10 minutes. What the greatest preamble in the history of the show of the new era of Craig. And I just punched everything. So everything shifted in the new era of Craig Lagans and Dan Colatico. That's me. Cool. Um, so 
Joe, Samoa Joe's back. Just like that. Just like that. Never as, happened. As, as if he never left. And well, you, it, have you he heard the 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 news, the, the scuttlebutt, the word, as they say, that when the cuts were made, uh, this went, this was news to Triple H. And Triple H. Really? Yes. I did not hear that. Who brought Samoa Joe into the to NXT? Who knew who, outside of everyone else in the front office of of the WWE doesn't know anything about pro wrestling or watch any pro wrestling? Triple H wanted Joe in NXT um, from the get go. So when he found out that Joe was one of the ones that he said, "No, wait a minute, uh-uh. record scratch. Let's, let's rewind this." And what do you know? He's back. Um, again, like he, he never should have left in the first place. Uh, if indeed his wrestling career is over, because I'm always been a more of a fan of Joe in the ring than out of the ring. Not and his commentary was very good. Oh, he was one of those guys that kind of slid into that position perfectly. Yeah. He really was. Yeah, I, I I like him more. I'd like him more as a heel announcer. Sure. Uh, but even if he is the uh, the enforcer or some type of uh, strong arm uh, individual. I, the more Samoa Joe on camera, the better, whether he's being heard or being seen. Yes. I'm glad that I'm glad they rectify that. It's a shame. They can't do that for everyone, you know, uh, for Aleister Black or um, for Mickey James in some capacity, but Samoa Joe coming back. Yeah. That was, that was triple H's, Deal because apparently he had no idea. He was not aware of that, and he was not he was not happy. I will say this: I, I, I you know, you say that, but I think they're immediately building up to a match with Karrion Cross. Okay, I, I have a feeling. I hope I, I might be wrong. I've never been wrong yeah. on this show before in my <laughs> life. Um, but I'd I'd pay good money to see that personally. Yeah. Uh, but it was good. It was kind of like it, it was blindsided. It blindsided me. I didn't expect yeah. it. I was like, wait, excuse me. <laughs> All right. You know, we got a little good thing out of the bad thing because it was. Of all the releases, that was glaring. Yes. In my opinion, that was oh, glaring. Oh, my to, to everyone. Even when it, when it happened, Samoa Joe was trending because that that's how I found out that he was released. Because I saw, I went on Twitter and he's trending. I think, well, you know, I hope he's not dead or he's gazy coming back when I found out he was gone. So that was, it was a major, there was a major outcry from wrestling fans who, you know, know and love Samoa Joe. And I'm always going to, you know, blow the horn for Joe because that's someone that should have had at least one title run. Yes. To credit. Yeah. Um, whether I didn't, wouldn't, I mean, ideally, I would have loved him to go over Brock, but, you know, over Seth, over AJ, so all the history that they've had, they could have traded the belt, you know, um, not that, you know, they could bring back their, you know, not to say they could turn back the clock in 15 sure. years and bring back their Ring of Honor type of matches, but those guys, two guys know each other well, work really well together, so uh, a title reign, uh, I would have loved to have seen a title reign by Samoa Joe, and I think they dropped the ball. It's one of those weird things where we can say that Samoa Joe was a impact champion. Yeah. I believe a champion in NWA. Uh, yes, he was an NWA champion. 
but not the WWE World Champion. No. Huh? Yeah, that, yeah, that's always gonna be great. Yeah, now, now AJ has that. Um, yeah. Well, you know, one was, for two. Yeah. <laughs> he was also an um. A uh, he was also sorry. He AJ was also an IWGP uh, champion. That's right. That's right. Yeah. No, but I'm glad to see him back where he belongs. The next teacher, Triple H is like, you're not going back there. You'll stay right here. Mm-hmm. I yeah, I don't know what's going to happen with WWE because uh, I'm still on the assumption that they're gone. Not they're gone, but that Vince is going to sell whether it's this year or next. And it's kind of like, what do you do? Yeah, you yeah, get and- comfy with. And also, the what also made news uh, this week in the WWE is that they've been on their uh, SmackDown and the Raw shows and their NXT shows, promoting the return of WWE live to an arena near you and scheduling dates where they're going to start. Ticket sales are not going well, at all. Um, and you know it's it's weird when you see what people are really getting excited for the ones that the, the, the things that now that we're everyone's you know 70% of the world's vaccinated and we can start going out without masks and public stuff the Foo Fighters sold out Madison Square Garden in minutes uh, all advanced ticket sales for Black Widow and theaters are gone but oh. WWE uh, is and there's probably more people in the uh, in the Terror Dome than they'll see at a live event now well, let me ask you a question. Yeah. All the months that we've watching at the Thunderdome. Uh-huh. Is there anything you buy a ticket for? No. Absolutely we have not. just solved the issue. <laughs> <laughs> oh, especially now because you're, you're, the, the Thunderdome is pretty much just a, a, uh, it's a TV, it's a TV show, a TV sketch. And they rely so much on backstage stuff and camera work. I mean, I was, got me whenever there was a uh, a backstage scene or especially anything involving Alexa Bliss or The Fiend or anything else that there's uh, cameras already there or like when they did the Shana, the, the Shana Baszler skit where she was supposed to be running from uh, what's her name and oh Alexa Bliss Alexa Bliss yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and but the, she's running and the camera's already in the dressing room to capture all this yeah, how's that gonna play on a in a live crowd? Oh gee, I don't know. I, I don't think so. No, of course he hit that three. Um yeah, I will say this, uh in a, a nice turn of events, the uh the AEW is looking to book non-traditional yeah. arenas. Uh, they announced today that tickets went on sale for their uh show at Arthur Arthur Ash Stadium. Which is a, for lack of a better term, a tennis arena. Yeah. You know, so that's pretty awesome. So they're trying something different. And, you know, all the slack that uh, Tony Khan and AEW catch, they're trying something different. Yeah. Um, they're coming off this pandemic. And, you know, our thoughts of the whole, you know, pandemic war was kind of like, Nobody's there, man. Like, I, why are we watching talking about ratings now? Mm-hmm. And I stick by that, but man, at least they were trying. Yeah. I, I'll say this. And again, I get the WWE apologist 
label all the time, which is weird if you've heard me say things about the WWE on this show. Uh, whether or not you liked it is irrelevant. Right. It seemed, and I mean, generally, you and I, you, me, and anybody else who thought they liked or didn't like stuff in AEW, they were trying. Mm-hmm. And it felt like they were trying were off the WWE. Those are just my two cents. Yes. <laughs> um, so you also, and you also have that um, uh, the uh, perception that they're still brand new and still different than WWE and not as, uh, you know, shady or whatever. It's pro wrestling. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, you have uh, people that want to go more. So yeah. we'll see what the ticket sales are like. I think wrestling in general is going to suffer. I mean, that the Double or Nothing had a nice crowd. Mm-hmm. Uh, WrestleMania still had a nice crowd. Yeah. They were allowed to have at the time, but it's going to remain to be seen what's going on here. And you're going to find out real quick when your WWE broadcasts mm-hmm. look like WCW Nitro 19, uh, 2000. 2001 especially the end mm-hmm. that's a problem yeah that's a problem and i and always remember this folks the wcw lost their tnt contract mm-hmm. i mean they always lost a profit except for the one year but as far as ratings they got kicked off the air for the ratings very similar to what you're seeing now and what you're touting is awesome yeah. and i know that times are different and ratings are different, but we're all go back to events. This is the time right. right now. So, and I saw an article today that said Vince knows the product is stale. Mm-hmm. I'm real happy yeah, for yeah. Vince. Uh, now, two two things: fix it, and for God's sakes, hire people that you want to hold the camera still. Right. And I will bitch about this, and I'll even say it's bitching. Right. I will bitch about this. Until it stops. Stop it with the multiple camera cuts every 20 seconds. Stop shaking the camera when I'm trying to see what's going on. It adds nothing to that shot of Samoa Joe and Karrion Cross fighting backstage that you thought you were Michael Bay. Knock it off. Stop it. Stop it. I can't watch it. And, and it's not that I get motion sickness. Kelly can't watch it. Oh. Kelly does get motion sickness. That okay. kind of shit bothers her. She can't watch movies where the camera like like this yeah. when somebody's sitting still. Uh, and it don't bother me either. Mm-hmm. I mean, it doesn't bother me, but it bothers me in the sense that this is horrible. I can't watch this garbage. So it's going to be an interesting couple of months as people getting back to work. We'll see. Or get you know, we have to work back to events, but anyway, welcome, gentlemen and ladies, to this well dressed edition of the wrestling historian. We're going to go back in time to a time where there was wrestling in all 50 states without fear of social social distancing, so there was no social media either. So, to find out about what happened in your favorite uh, in your towns and um at your local arenas or high school gymnasiums, you actually had to read the newspapers or attend it live in person back when fans wanted to attend live shows in person by the droves, and they did in all 50 states. And there were cards that were so super and so 
spectacular for the fan that other promotions would have different champions on their card just for the fans. So we're going to go back to a time where wrestling was wrestling and not sports entertainment, where belts were called belts and not titles, where ratings on cable TV where wrestling was king were astronomical compared to what's on cable wrestling right now. This, gentlemen and ladies, is the Wrestling Historian. I'm afraid I have to start off on a down note. Uh, June 11th, 2015, uh, if only because it was uh, a, we lost someone um, that, that was a, an idol to millions and a game changer uh, for, uh, a, for the world of professional wrestling. But June 11th, 2015, we lost the dream. Oh, oh man. American Daniel dream. Riley Runnels Jr., son of a plumber, who went on to captivate uh, the entire American wrestling scene. Uh, started out as a heel, one half of the Texas Outlaws with uh, Dick Murdoch, and one tag team championships around the country. Uh, the short crew cut hair, bleach blonde, uh, always good on the mic. And he and Murdoch uh, ran roughshod over Texas in the AWA in the Midwest and Southwest in Georgia. And until uh, one day, the way Dusty recalls, he woke up one day after sharing a hotel room with Dick Murdoch and woke up and saw Dick Murdoch and his tidy whities And keep in mind, they had been a team for six years and they had known each other for a lot longer than that. But this one particular day in this one particular town in this one particular hotel room, Dusty Rose woke up and looked at Dick Murdoch and said, I can't do this again. I can't do this anymore. And that was it. Um, aside from a few special occasions, they never teamed again. Uh, the Texas Outlaws were never a, a regular team and Dusty went on his own way. Found his way to Florida, uh, where he was managed by the great Gary Hart. And in one fateful match, when Dusty was teaming up with the Orient, the uh, Korean menace Pac Song against the father and son team of Mike and Eddie Graham, Pac Song with a deadly chopped, missed Mike Graham and hit Dusty by mistake. <laughs> and Dusty had all he could stand. He could stand no more and did his little curly shuffle in the ring and the place went nuts and Dusty turned on Pac Song, turned on Gary Hart, and for the first time in his career, turned face and he never looked back. And from that moment on, in, uh, night from 1974 for the rest of his career, Dusty Rhodes throughout the 70s into the 80s was outside of Andre the Giant, the most popular wrestler in America who was not a world champion as far as box office uh, receipts, gates. He uh, and Andre were the, the two most touring wrestlers of their time, of their era. Dusty could wrestle in the WWF, the NWA, and the AWA all in one all in one week. He could headline Madison Square Garden on Monday, headline the Omni on Tuesday, and be at the Superdome on Thursday, and uh, not miss a beat. Even do a show in Altoona, Pennsylvania, uh, or uh, one in in Macon, Georgia. I saw a, a program 
uh, from Dusty when Dusty actually held the NWA championship three times. There was a thing, you know, wrestlers often get so popular that they don't need a belt. You know, Andre was one of those. Um, and for a long time, Dusty was one of those. And so was Jerry Lawler. But when you have him go for the world championship so many times, it, get, it would get to the point where, well, the fans aren't going to show up to this next NWA title match because they know Dusty's not going to win <laughs> or he's going to get screwed at some point. So when they finally did put the belt on Dusty, August 21st, 1979, and uh, fulfilled a dream, then even though it was a five-day reign, his first reign was only five days, the fans knew that he was a champion, that at any given time he could win that belt back. And one of those times was in uh, June, well, it's going to be next week's wrestling story in June 23rd, 1981, when he defeated Harley Race for his second NWA championship in, uh, at, in the Omni in Atlanta. Well, I found an old program online, uh, one of his title, few title defenses, because he only held it his second time from June of 1981 to September 17th, 1981, when he would lose it to a young Ric Flair. But one of his title defenses was July 1st, 1981, in Columbus, Georgia. And as far as I know, this is the first and only time this match happened, but I would have loved to have seen it. July 1st, 1981, in Columbus, Georgia, the NWA champion, Dusty Rhodes, took on a heel, Superfly Jimmy Snuka. Oh, all right. I would have loved to have seen that match from what I understand. Uh, Snuka won. Snuka lost by disqualification. And get this, Dusty bled a lot. He did? Yeah. I never knew. Yeah, this is during Superfly Jimmy Snuka's run with Terry Gordy when they were the Georgia Tag Team Champions, when the Freebirds had split up and Superfly and Terry Gordy were the, uh, were the best tag team in Georgia. Well, they split up that one night. Terry Gordy actually teamed up with Ken Patera uh, for that card, and Superfly had his shot at the NWA Championship held by Dusty Rhodes. Uh, two of my favorites of all times. In 1981, I would have loved to have seen that match. Um, and uh, But June 11th, 2015, after a fall, Dusty had fallen, I think, a couple weeks earlier, and I guess he never recovered. But uh, we lost a, we lost a dream July, June, 9th, June 11th. Ugh. 2015 can we make uh, make the argument but can we just stay flat out that as much as we talk about how influential and long-lasting rick flair was and 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 everybody else that we put on that pedestal that dusty's at the top no matter what in my yeah. opinion I, yeah. I i i don't think any you know, there's the joke of the, the the dusty finish and the weird dusty booking in WCW, but pass all that kidding around. I I don't I don't think there is a better person in wrestling ever. No, why Dusty was between him and Bruno, he was my favorite wrestler of all time because no one could talk like him for one, and no one looked like him because this was a guy you can't get away with booking like Dusty Rhodes. And being an over-the-top face now, I mean, they, the WWE tried with Otis, but you're you're not going to see a Dusty Rhodes like that because one of the reasons why Dusty Rhodes as a character worked because he looked the way he did. He sounded like my Uncle Leon, but he looked like, you know, the guy that would uh, 
would mow your lawn, you know, and he's not supposed to look that like that. And, you know, he didn't have a, a long run as NWA champion because back then the NWA champion had to uh, work in different territories every day and, you know, had to work heel sometimes. And that was not going to be Dusty. Uh, he, had a lot, he had a lot of babyface versus babyface matches. And when he went to other territories to face their top guy, and they drew well, but, you know, they would much rather see Dusty team up with Ted DiBiase as opposed to wrestling him, which which they did in the Omni because Ted was the number one contender in Georgia at the time. But uh, Dusty, and remember, Dusty came first. Ric Flair wanted his ring name to be Rick Rhodes. He wanted to be his first, he wanted to be yeah. the younger brother of Dusty Rhodes. So, uh, and it, it I will, and I always put Rick, you know, up there, but I never put him above Dusty, not in terms of, uh, of his work on the mic, maybe his work in the ring, because obviously Dusty wasn't going to go an hour every night against the top baby faces the way Rick did when he was NWA champion, but they were built differently. Again, back to their, how they're built, but Dusty, uh, did more during his career as far as being an American you know, sensation. Rick couldn't be in every town, a crisscross. You know, Rick couldn't head, headline Madison Square Garden and the Omni and Superdome all in one week. He never did that as NWA champion. And uh, the way Dusty could get anyone to talk anyone in the ring and just young and old, you just you just had to hear a promo from Dusty and you were instantly hooked because he'd get you. And uh, that's why he was my favorite of all time. And his impact, thankfully, unfortunately, that he died when he did and how he did and mm -hmm. still how young it was. Yeah. Um, to be able to impact people into the mid-2010s and have a hands-on approach in NXT, uh, which is still being felt to this day, yeah. Uh, as a fan, I'm thankful for. I'm very yeah. happy about that. Um, mm -hmm. I. It's funny, uh, the millions of promos that he cut. And he probably cut millions of promos. Yeah. Um, the one that still sticks, you know, everybody mentions the perennial hard times and all this. Mm -hmm. other. Yeah. I, I will tell this story is, is, is the perfect summation of Dusty Rhodes is SummerSlam 92. 91? 91. Mm -hmm. Is it 91 where Sapphire goes off? Yeah. And, yeah, okay. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you know, the tale is old as time. He comes into WWE, given the crappy looking gimmick. And, of course, Dusty, Dusty turns him into gold because he's Dusty goddamn Rhodes. And, um, you know, Sapphire turns on him, mm -hmm. joins the Million Dollar Man, and the promo he cuts is as if he's about to fight Ric Flair next week yeah, or, or Nick Bockwinkle or tag with yeah. the one of 20 of his tag team partners he's ever had in his life. It, the perfect summation of that man where he was given sand and turned it to gold every time that after that promo in the random, this random classic dusty promo at the end of a summer slam that I would have run a th through a brick wall for that man <laughs> is the perfect summation for that guy. And I'll say 
just to double down, you know, we talk about Andre, Ric Flair, the greats, uh, Buddy Rogers. Yeah. Uh, 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 you know, and we talk about Austin, The Rock, right. mm-hmm. uh, Booker T later on, all these guys. Yeah. On, uh, on uh, it's going to be weird to say, but I don't, I still don't think enough people talk about Dusty Rhodes. That is weird to say because they should. Uh, yeah. Because- and I think he's on top of, you know, there's that wrestling. You see that wrestling ru- Mount Rushmore. Yeah. He's got a mountain to the side of it that's looking going cute. Yeah. <laughs> But as far as wrestling promos goes, it's, it's definitely always be at, at the top of my list because um, and so many, you know, especially now when you look at the product now where there's scripts and there's wrestler, you can tell the ones that are told to say this and don't forget to mention that. Dusty, you hand him a mic. Uh, Dusty, you're going to be Columbus, Georgia uh, against Buzz Sawyer on the 16th. Go. You want five minutes, you want a minute, you want 30 seconds. You know, he, he, he can just give it to you. And there's so and there's so many Dusty promos, even after he retired. He had one in Slamboree, uh, when it was just he was the it was a 30-second promo. They were into inducting, you know, the fans into the WCW Hall of Fame. And uh, the assassin had been out before. Uh, and made a challenge to Dusty, and everyone just thought that Dusty would wave it off, and you know, and he was thinking, and they they can they inducted Stu Hart, who we talked about last week, That's right, yeah. they inducted Stu Hart and Mr. Wrestling too, and he said congratulations to Stu Hart and congratulations to Mr. Wrestling too, but a little bit earlier, <laughs> I said a little bit earlier, that dirty old assassin talking about if you anywhere in the building, Big Dust, I want some of you. Well, if you want some of me, my big ass is standing out here. So come and get it, baby. And the place went nuts. I went nuts watching it at home. And the whole crowd, they they weren't dead. But when Dusty said that, that little thing, the crowd popped and it was alive for the rest of the year. Dusty just came in, did a 10-second on talking about the assassin. And he whipped the whole crowd up just like that and left. And he was never seen for the rest of the of the broadcast. And that was the power of Dusty Rose. Just just doing that one little thing. Um, I remember his first time in the WWF when he went and he came in a challenge superstar. Um, still the amazing night that Vince McMahon says, I'll never forget that night, the night that uh, Dusty challenged superstar. Well, in the promo he did leading up to it, that was the first time he, he used the uh, the line, I've wined and dined with kings and queens and I've slept in alleys and ate pork and beans. And I know everybody here has eaten pork and beans at one, th- at one time. Okay. And said, just because I drive a big car now, don't make me bad, Jack. And the place went nuts and Vince McMahon started laughing and that was just like a little peak of Dusty, you know, going off script as it were. It was made it up, but he just said, just because I drive a big car now, don't make me bad. Uh, could relate to everybody, black, white, young, old kids, you know, every, he was, uh, and probably the most fascinating thing, and I apologize. Uh, fans, there's more to wrestling the story, and it's not all, it's not the Dusty Rhodes hour, I promise. Yeah, you. this is my fault. I wanted to make, because anytime <laughs> we talk about Dusty, I'll talk about him for an hour. Good. Me too. Um, but we, if you've ever seen the uh, the Dream DVD put up, produced by the W, to hear him talk in his 
regular voice is really shocking because I'm so used to, you know, not him yelling, but just him, you know, laying it down like it is, you know, gotta gotta tell you something in public, if you will. But just to hear him talk like this, um, I was born outside. Uh, of yes, Tyler, I was Texas. born outside of Tyler, Texas, and yeah. <laughs> like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> Who's this guy? Is uh, it? You know, it's like the only other voice I talk about like that in wrestling is Macho Man, and like at least when Macho Man calmed it down, he was still talking like this, brother. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I work out every day, and I, you know, I took care of Dusty. Is it's uh, he yeah. pulled that out of his ass, man? Exactly. That big, beautiful stardust <laughs> that ass. That big ass. Man. But uh, yeah, June 11, 2015. I always, uh, it was a sad day for wrestling, but I always celebrate all of his achievements, all of his accomplishments. I would say Bruno is what um, made me like wrestling, but it was Dusty who made me a fan. You know, Bruno was this mythical creature that, you know, people talked about in hushed tones, and he never wrestled on TV. He just appeared with a belt and talked about his next defense. Dusty, uh, thanks to the handshake agreement between 80 Graham and Vince McMahon, I got to see him in the mid 70s. Championship wrestling from Florida was shown in Philadelphia, and I got to see this man. I got, I I heard him first. I heard the interview. I didn't know who was talking. I expecting some large black man, and I see this large white man talking about what he's going to do. And then I started watching him and couldn't take my eyes off him. Transfixed, and I was. That's what made he made me a wrestling fan and to the point well wait wait a minute if this guy's out here what else am i missing and you know the w i mean the, i live in philadelphia so i'm gonna get the the wwf shows but they're wrestling in florida and it's got this guy in it it's gotta be there must be more tell me more about this nwa <laughs> yeah it's weird when because when i hear my final point is when i hear of course, Ric Flair's name is synonymous with NWA, but yeah, I see Dusty's face, man. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, Starcade, I, Starcade. I see Dusty's face. Mm-hmm. Well, it was his creation, so it was his creation. Yeah, again, there's so many things that he created that were uh, Starcade uh, War Games um, made the uh, the bull rope match a thing. Um, the Texas Tornado. Uh, matches he made um and you mentioned earlier the dusty finish uh it as for many because it was overdone is what killed it but it made so many stars or it made so many because when a top a territory top babyface got a piano the world champion usually flair uh and then the, the referee came, the real referee came and discounted it. That made the baby face. And he did it not just with the big, he did, did it with himself, but I mean, he did it with Slaughter. Uh, he did it with um, Austin Idol in Memphis. He did it with Wendell Cooley in the Southeastern Championship wrestling. Wendell Cooley pinned Ric Flair when a, new, when a second referee came in and counted the fall. Uh, it, it again, because it, it had been done to death, that's what killed it. But when it's when it was done uh, without, you know, the rest of the world knowing about it, um, it was huge, and it made the careers, it made those guys seem legit. So when Flair came back, the place was sold out because, well, you know, Wendell Cooley pinned Flair the last time he was here, so let's see if he could do it again with no, you know, second referees or whatever. 
Uh, but yes, the, the dusty finish for all its flaws, uh, <laughs> its infancy was a, uh, a, a great tool to get over a, uh, a baby face and it worked. But uh, we lost uh, we lost our dream July June June eleventh two thousand fifteen June twelfth um, going to be a theme of one of my favorite cards uh, two two cards happened this week they're two of my favorite cards of all time that had me captivated I had this particular uh, pay per view on my uh, DVR. Uh, forever to the point where I I had to get a new DVR because it was ninety it at ninety eight percent and I didn't want to give up my old DVR because it had this pay per view on it and even though it was ten years old when I got rid of it was eleven years old when I got rid of my DVR but June twelfth two thousand five was the pay per view of ECW's one night stand. Mm. This was the pay-per-view where all the current WWF stars who had wrestled in ECW would come back in the Hammerstein Ballroom to put on a show for the ECW faithful. And it was one of, still is one of my favorite cards of all time. You had Lance Storm going against Chris Jericho and Chris Jericho brought out the, wrestled in the Lionheart tights. Uh, Chris Benoit versus Eddie Guerrero. Uh, psychosis versus Rey Mysterio, and it was a. It wasn't their classic match, and a lot of them weren't. Uh, Benoit and Jericho weren't. Uh, I mean, Benoit and Guerrero wasn't. Storm and Jericho wasn't, and Psycho Psychosis and Rey Mysterio tried to recapture it, but it was distracting because Psychosis was wrestling without his mask to the point where the fans were chanting, where's your mask? Where's your mask? Uh, Mike Awesome versus Masato Tanaka. Uh, they had their standard um, chairs to the head, uh, power bomb through the table type of deal. Uh, and even Mike Awesome, even power bomb referee Jim Molino at the end of that match. And that, unfortunately, that second power bomb uh, tore the ACL and Mike Awesome's knee and he had to limp out and that unfortunately would be the last match in the career of Mike Awesome. That was our goodbye to Mike Awesome. Completely underrated talent. Thanks wrestling. Yeah. And uh, the main event, uh, the Dudley Boys versus Tommy Dreamer and Sandman and someone even tweeted out because when it happened the, the anniversary was June 12th when on well, June 12th, a couple days ago, someone tweeted out the single greatest entrance in wrestling history. But it was the Sandman coming out to enter Sandman. He was in the balcony. And Sandman made his way to the ring within the entire song of Enter Sandman was playing as he was making his way to the ring and opening up beers during the chorus while the Dudleys waited in the ring. Uh, of course, uh, People remember the brawl at the end of the bout with the uh, ECW stars getting into it with the WWF stars and John Bradshaw Layfield putting in some real shots into the Blue Meanie. And um, JBL would get his receipt uh, about a week later. But that was uh, one of my favorite cards of all time. What do you remember about that card? It was a good show, too. Um, 
I do, I do remember Blue Beanie being bloodied for no goddamn reason. Yeah. <laughs> so then, but I do know that uh, someone got his revenge on JBL, and rightfully they should. Yeah, with Stevie with the yeah. harder than uh, harder than average chair shot. Good, fuck him. Um, <laughs> I it just because when the when the show got announced, I was like, oh, he's gonna look like. It's kind of like WWE. I don't want ECW to you know, look like that. It felt like an ECW show. Yeah. It really yeah. did from start to finish. It was a good ECW type show. And uh, with a little bit of extra better production, but I think yeah. it did it. I think it did it well. I really. It, it's a blur. The two one night stands kind of blur together for me. Yeah. But. Just reminiscing about the show makes me miss ECW more than sometimes I do about WCW. Yeah. Uh, because they survived for so much, through so much, and for so long, mm-hmm. in spite of Paulie. Yeah. And his, as, as good as he is at some things, uh, little shortcomings there mm-hmm. sometimes, all due respect, mm-hmm. really all due respect to Paul Heyman. Of course. Um, but Though it was one of those things where after the show, I was like, "Man, I I need that again. Yeah, I I need those little I, shows I, at the ECW I, arena, and exactly. I need to get herpes just by looking at the building. And <laughs> I need to avoid the public restrooms there. Yeah. Just hold until I get home. Yeah, <laughs> I will pee outside. <laughs> but yeah, as soon as I, I as soon as it went off the air, Dan, I was so I was just so hyped, had so much adrenaline from watching that that I I really really and truly missed it. Yeah, but uh, that was one of my favorite cards um, of all time. Um, later, uh, also uh, this week in, in wrestling history, uh, happy thirty belated thirty second birthday, June fifteenth to Bailey. My favorite, still going strong. I um, love I love that we're living in an era of heel heel Bailey. Yeah. That's one of the things I think would uh, go over in a bad way, in a good way, in a bad way <laughs> with a live crowd. I, I can't wait for the because the ding dong. Hello is not corny enough for it's like, you but did the ding dong. Hello comes off so sarcastic. Yeah. <sighs> and the the, yeah. uh, the the T-shirt, too. Yeah. <laughs> got made. Um, but do you think this is uh, uh, it, Bully Ray had a had a good point of all people. Um, yeah. Oh boy. But um, he was talking on his podcast about uh, the the tag team of Randy Orton and uh, and um, Matt Riddle, uh, RK Bro, and everyone's like wondering when. It, right. I mean, right now they're saying, "Oh, it's going to be so sweet when uh, when Orton turns on Riddle." And that'll be like it. And it's like just let it breathe. Let it. Let's live. This in is where we insert the thing that you and I have been saying, mostly me, uh-huh. for for many years on this show, and even before you're on the show. Mm-hmm. For God's sakes, let it breathe. Yeah. Let it happen. Let it get so. And I don't mean it in the way where you just have the same match thrown down your throat. Mm-hmm. Where you actually turn it off. I mean, let the thing build. Yeah. To the point where you forget in a couple of months that you hate them mm-hmm. together. 
And you're like, this is actually working out. So then when he does finally kill this person, it means more. Do you want to waste it on Thunderdome? Really? Really? As much as I hate Matt Riddle as a person and as a performer. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know what I meant, as a person. <laughs> yeah. As a person outside of performing. Yeah. Uh, be that as it may. Mm-hmm. He's annoying to the band. Eventually, he's going to want to kill him. Do you, why do you want it so quick? Yeah, and uh, the reason why I brought that up as an example because when Bailey turned heel, I was like, if they let this go for a while, when she turns face, she's gonna be even bigger than when she was coming out with the wacky, wavy, inflatable arm flailing tube men. So that's like we're waiting for Bailey to turn uh, face, or when she, when she does. But right now, she's such an effective heel. Um, that like the the way they've handled it has been masterfully, and it looks like she's really enjoying it too. And that's that's the best part that she's enjoying it. So happy belated birthday! It's going to be thirty second birthday to Bailey. Uh, today, June sixteenth, uh, nineteen ninety three, was another one of my favorite cards of all time. Uh, this took place in Norfolk, Virginia. Uh, the announcers were Tony Schiavone and the great Jesse Ventura. And uh, I'm going to go through the whole card, but two of the best matches on that card were, uh, strangely enough, Barry Windham versus Two Cold Scorpio for the NWA championship. They went about 20 minutes, and even Jesse Ventura said, what a match. Those two guys really put on a show for both of them. I think it was Scorpio's best match in the NWA, but he and Barry, and you can't have a bad match with Barry Windham anyway, but uh, the main event was the return. Uh, this would be Ric Flair's first match back since returning to the NWA from the WWF, from his first tour of the WWF. And Ric Flair would team up with Arn Anderson to go up against the NWA Tag Team Champions. Flying Brian, Stunning Steve, the Hollywood Blondes. Mm. And introduced by Michael Buffer, and it still gives me goosebumps listening to him introduce those, all four men. And um, you can see how the guys were really into it, hearing Michael Buffer's introduction. And the champions coming in last, and how what a great time that Austin and, and Pillman were, were having. But yeah, I was uh, Clash of Champions, 23. Uh, main event, the Hollywood Blondes versus Flair and Anderson. Flair and Anderson won the first fall, but it was two out of three, and the other one was a disqualification. Uh, champions kept the title. Uh, great match, great card. Played Norfolk Scope was electric, and that Clash of Champions did a 2.6 mm. rating. And uh, I think one step further, uh, June seventh. Did you want? I'm sorry. Did you want to say something? No, you're good, man. I'm, I'm letting you uh, go. I said June, enough tonight. <laughs> June seventeenth, nineteen seventy-seven. June seventeenth in St. Louis, Missouri. You had on one card, Dan, the AWA tag team of Blackjack Lanza and Bobby Duncan took on the AWA tag team champions Greg Gagne and Jim Brunzel. The NWA champion Harley Race 
defeated the Missouri State champion Jack Briscoe. And the WWWF heavyweight champion, superstar Billy Graham, defeated Bob Slaughter. <laughs> yeah. Before he became a sergeant. That I was all on one card. You had the AWA tag team champions, the NWA heavyweight champion, and the WWF heavyweight champion. Don't make cards like that. They anymore. don't make them like they used to. <laughs> nope. No, I really wish it would. I really wish you could find a way to get uh, uh, all, all the super cards. I couldn't think yeah. of the word. I mean, I'm yeah. so flustered with what, okay. what, what we just witnessed, to be honest. Yeah. I. I, I'm, I'm the flustered one now. Yeah, no, I'm I'm trying to hold it together. I, I'm, I, I made the mistake of uh, texting our friend Mike Rossini. Oh, okay. And I now I'm mad all over again. Not Mike's fault. I, just... I know. Mike and his beautiful wife, uh, Rachel, my best to both of you. Thank you. Um, back when you did listen to us. But yeah, trying to concentrate on my uh, on my, my notes. And you know what? These Dan, that card in St. Louis on June seventeenth, that wasn't a super card. That was just a yeah. I was gonna say I say month. super card, but it was technically a super card. It was just yeah, the show. <laughs> you could have that in Houston. You have the AWA and the NWA and the WWF champion on or in Toronto. Uh, it, it could happen. Um, and that was just how it went. You know, one of the what ifs. Um, do we have any what ups this this week? We don't have any what ups this week. I'm okay. going to yell at him about next week. So I thought, yeah, because I didn't last week. We were supposed to have a big one. That yeah, we were, we're supposed to have for... a big what if, and I didn't get it. Okay. I'll, I'll call him out. And I'll get it next time. Okay. Because one of the to backtrack on one of our what ifs, um, you know, was what if uh, if Hogan if if Vern had put the belt on Hogan uh, at the time in the AWA, um, I. We're going under the assumption that the AWA would be the power in pro wrestling and would take – no, the difference being that the AWA, Stanley Blackburn, Vern Gagne, and the NWA, the president, Bob Geigel, or, uh, they weren't Vince. They weren't – those guys I mentioned weren't interested in being the, one, the, the only wrestling organization in the country. They wouldn't mind sharing – they had no problem sharing talent or having their champion wrestling on their cards or in Japan or overseas or anything like that. What if the AWA had put the belt on, on Hogan, Hogan would have been AWA world champion, but I think Vince still would have found a way to be number one because if he couldn't, because a little backstory here for how Hogan even came to the WWF because uh, Vince, I mean, sorry, Vern, Vern Gagne, had Hogan in the AWA selling out crowds. Uh, he was the biggest star in North American wrestling. He was still coming off Rocky Three, and he was selling out major arenas in the AWA. But his, his problem with Vern was uh, when Hulk went to Japan, Vern was selling Hulkamania t-shirts. And back when there was no merchandising, and as far as t-shirts go, they can just take a picture of you, put it on a t-shirt, and sell it. And there was no... You know, there was no merchandising, there was no sales department, there was no t-shirt division. So when Byrne was doing that, and he wasn't giving Hogan a cut of that, plus Hogan was loyal to Enoki, uh, and Vern had his deal with Baba. So that 
right right there was uh, a problem. So what Vince McMahon Jr. did is he flew to Japan to check out Hogan. And when uh, Hogan came back, he didn't come back to the AWA. He went right to the WWF. So that's how that came about. And uh, if because and if when Hogan got married later on uh, that year, you saw in the wedding party there was uh, Inoki, there was Andre, and there was Vince. No Vern. I don't know if Vern was snubbed or I don't know if Vern was invited or just didn't go. But I think Vern pissed off so many people. Yeah. So I'm. And it was my, like I ain't fighting him. <laughs> I said all that to say this: that if if Hogan had now and Vern's thing was well, I was his well, I was about to put the belt on you, but you left. Oh, okay. <laughs> Even though he had that one, but that was Vern's status, and he was going to put the belt. But had he done that though, I think Vince, not to be deterred, would have found something to still come out on top because. If he didn't get Hogan, I think he would have still done something. He put the belt on Slaughter or made some type of deal with uh, with Dusty or with uh, with World Class to get the amount of P or even Flair to uh, come to the WWF to not go to the AWA. Because I think because, like I said, those guys weren't it. it Stanley Blackburn or Vern Gagne, the president or the owners of AWA, were not interested in being the one-all uh, global entity. Vince was, so I think if Vince lost Hogan, he would or didn't get Hogan, because initially he tried to buy the AWA when he first took the company over from his dad. Like he tried to buy all the other territories. Like he tried to buy World Class, and Fritz told him to go fuck himself. Vern told him to go fuck himself, and that's when. So when, but when Vern told him that, he said, "Okay, well, I'll go get your number one guy and convince him to come work for me." So that was how Vince dealt with Vern telling him to f off. I'm not going to sell my company to you. So that, yeah. I mean, they were technically right, no longer. Yeah, <laughs> you know. <laughs> uh, but I think if if but if Hogan had been AWA champion, I think Vince still would have found a way to get to number one, but it would have been a longer road and the AWA would have lasted a lot longer than it did. So I, I nah. want to uh, amend that uh, previous what if. It's all right. It's all right. I'll tell, uh, he'll still, he'll listen afterwards and he'll be reminded. I'm telling you now, yeah. next week, you better be here. I need that what if. Exactly. Those are... What the fuck? <laughs> because they had me, because not only do we talk, there are great questions that we discuss here, but I'm still, I still think about it, you know, during the week, you know, uh, about the, yeah. the, the other what ifs. Um, did you happen, uh, we, we talked, did we talk about the last dark side of the ring? I am, I am still a week. We're going to have to do that next week. That's why okay. I made the first se segment so quick with the dynamite kid. Yeah. I have to, I have to watch that in the McFoley one. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the only other thing, uh, wrestling related on, uh, TV was the Amy treasure hunt series uh it was two hours but it was with andre the giant and i only watch it for the stock footage because <laughs> i can never get enough old footage of andre black and white footage or because i couldn't give less of a shit about undertaker's mask 
don't you care. Know, or, or, or Jake Roberts snake bag. I don't care about that fucking sack. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. No. Yeah, yeah, Not you. I was talking it. about yeah. people who are like, how dare you? I'm like, I yeah. don't fucking care. <laughs> but Andre stuff, you know, there was someone was looking for the, the with the mask, his boots that he had that was custom made because they don't even make the, the amount of laces that he needed to, to lace them up. And then someone's looking for the, the mask he wore in Japan when he was part of the machines. Oh, that's right. Yeah. That'd be kind of cool. Yeah. And well, guess who had it? Who had it? Sonny Ono. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so that means Sonny Ono made an appearance on WWF programming? Yeah. The weirdest thing, though, Dan, was during the match, I don't know when this was taped, but uh, you had these guys looking for the Andre stuff, and he went to the house of Paul White and then Mark Henry. And Why? Because they're big, fat guys? Like, why did you? I don't know. But again, I don't know when this was taped. But it was curious that these two guys that are in the are are in AEW now because in their words, or at least in the words of Mark Henry, they felt they were they were disrespected, or they felt they could have not that they could have done more in the ring, but they could have like Mark Henry wanted an office job at WWE. They weren't going to give him an office job. He he wanted to know why he wasn't offered one. Like he he thought he was just that's how he felt disrespected. Like they didn't even offer him one. Or as an agent or anything like that. That dude's literally been working there since 1996. I would offer him an office job. I'd, I'd offer him the office. Here, come. I just say stand there. We'll build, we'll build an office around you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The office goes with you, bro. <laughs> yeah, but but to hear these two, these two guys though on this show hawking merchandise for the WWE, it's like, oh, you got to buy this, and it's got to be in the WWE wing. It's Andre the Giant stuff, and haggling with these people that have this Andre merchandise. They're haggling on behalf of the WWE. So that was that was a weird part for me. Like they're fighting so hard for this company that they eventually left because they felt so disrespected and not utilized enough. So yeah, that was that was a weird that was weird for me to watch. But I, I watched it for the uh, for the old Andre footage. And they're still going with that stupid tired old tripe about well, they didn't know what Andre was going to do at WrestleMania three. It's like, oh, oh, Hogan wrote the whole thing on a script that you didn't find out till thirty eight years later. Or something. Wrote it all down, did. Hogan. Uh huh. I'm sure he did, brother. Andre knew the finish ahead of time. Everyone knew the finish ahead of time. If Andre stop got- lying to me, Craig. <laughs> It's like Andre got there before anyone else and didn't want to talk to anyone. Andre probably got there before everyone else, like he always did, because he wanted to play cards. He didn't feel like well, he didn't feel like talking to anybody. He he arrived in a wheelchair. He had to he was only going to get on his feet for the match. So as much time as he could spend relaxing, not doing anything, was you know that was him. But they still going with that. Oh well, we weren't sure what he was what was going to. Andre knew the finish. Nothing was going to happen. Uh, but they're still going with that thing, and I don't know what it needed to be written out for an Andre Hogan match. You know what? You know what I? You know what I think it is. What? Retrospectively, mm-hmm. it's just a theory, folks. Yeah, that it's Hulk Hogan's paranoia because he knew that Andre didn't like him. Yeah, that he made this up. Like, oh man, he's not going to do the job for me. Nobody in their right mind was like. Yeah, he's going to screw Vince out of 
you know, with this pay-per-view audience and all these people here that he's going to take a personal gripe out with you and he could just end you backstage. But I'm sure it was the 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 um, hypocritical personality, uh, paranoid ego of Hogan. You know what my theory is, Dan? Hogan's an idiot. That Andre knew the Andre knows the finish. He was going to go the finish, and Vince knew Andre would knew the would knew the finish. But Vince didn't tell Hogan to fuck with him. <laughs> That's my theory. That's a bit. You know, I like that one. I'm gonna go with that one. Uh, you know, uh, it's like it's uh, which which a hole do you hate more? Kind of Hogan, kind of. Yeah, yeah, yeah well, Hogan. I know Andre's never given me any problems, so. No, well, he hasn't, especially the last thirty years. Yeah, and that, gentlemen and ladies, is what's called the well-dressed version of the wrestling historian. And you can follow me if you so choose at Craig Legans on Facebook, Instagram, on Twitter. C-R-A-I-G-L-I-G-G-E-O-N-S. Follow me in my utter disappointment and gobsmackery at Dan Law 83. The HIC Talk Radio Network is at HIC Talk Radio on your podcast app. Forgot to go to the wide shot. Do that again, please, Greg. Um, yes, that's in reference to what I just said. Uh, if you go to your podcast app or Spotify, type in, and that means Android, Apple iPhone, type in the HIC Talk Radio Network. Look for that big, brand new, beautiful black and red logo and subscribe. And please listen. Uh, for Craig Legons, I am Dan Calchigo. We have got to get the hell out of here. Yes. Good night.